from the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. With no further ado, I would like to welcome Susan Piper, who's a specialist nurse for Prostate Cancer UK. This is an honor for me to have this conversation as a, as a black man living in the UK. The subject matter that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, if you can spare your time and your attention and your ears, is something that is so, so important that we rally behind and we have a greater understanding of all the nuances of the prostate and how um, we can keep ourselves and our families um, happy, safer, and more updated on information regarding prostate cancer. So again, I want a round of applause for Susan Piper. Thank you very much, guys. Let's go. Hello, Douglas. Thanks so much for having us today. It's really good to see you. Oh, it's even better for me to see you. And I must say, you got this calm, therapeutic voice, the voice that just makes everything feel right that's very kind that that's very kind actually people quite often say when i'm i'm working on the service um oh no it, it, it's not a human being i said i'm very much a human being so yes yeah i don't think my husband would agree but um thank you very much <laughs> yes people often say that and thank you no excellent Elna, excellent stuff brilliant so we 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 um got together well we were at the jabali annual second annual event in london hosted by the CQC, Big Up Patrick and the, the team there. And you gave a very insightful presentation and radical to us black men to get tested as regards to prostate cancer. Could you tell us a bit about that, your, what you do at Prostate Cancer UK and why it's so important now that we're having this conversation? Yeah, so absolutely. So I'm privileged to work with a team of nurses. We're all qualified nurses and we provide information and support to anyone that's even worried that they may have a prostate problem or in fact is going through investigation or who actually whose life has been touched by a prostate cancer diagnosis. So we have anything between 13 to 15,000 contacts every year on this service and we provide a specialist uh, service by phone um, which is Monday to Friday. But we also have other platforms for individuals to contact us because, you know, if it's something that's perhaps a little bit intimate or someone doesn't feel quite ready to talk about it yet, we have live chat, email, WhatsApp contact. And, you know, this, this works really, really well for those that perhaps don't feel quite ready to talk to us. Um, 
you know, we get a lot of support from the charity. They they concentrate on the support element. And so, you know, we're not restricted to the length of time that we can talk to individuals. And we know that that black men are at double the risk of their other ethnicities. So in the UK, one in four black men will be diagnosed mm. with prostate cancer on average. Now, when we compare this to other ethnicities, this is one in eight for other ethnicities. So it absolutely has to be a main priority of the cat of the charity to be able to raise awareness, um, raise awareness above uh, within our black communities, and to make sure that. Um, we're able to overcome some of this, this misinformation and the considerable myths which are out there within the general public, but there are some which are very much specific to our black communities. Wow. Well, now thank you for breaking it down like that. And in terms of what ages are most greatly impacted by um, prostate cancer, could you break that down yeah, as well? absolutely. So prostate cancer is most commonly diagnosed in men over the age of 50. But the worrying thing in relation to black men is that black men can be diagnosed a little bit younger, so around the sort of mid-40 age group, and sometimes can be diagnosed with faster growing prostate cancer. Now, prostate cancer is most commonly a slow growing cancer, but unfortunately for some men that isn't the case. So it's particularly important to find these men. So it might be important just to talk a little bit about what to look out for here. And men who have early prostate cancer very often don't have any symptoms at all. But we know for some recent evidence that that's not always the case. Around 50% of men will have some changes in the way that they normally wee or urinate, whatever you want to call it. And so it's so important for men not to ignore these changes and to make sure they understand that they must go to their doctors so that they can be assessed. It's also important to say that, of course, having changes in the way that you wee doesn't mean that you've definitely got prostate cancer. There can be many other non-cancerous reasons for men to have changes in the way that they weave, such as enlargement of the prostate, which is a non-cancerous condition, which is, is really something that uh, the incidence increases as a man ages. Wow. Well, now that's it. Oh, thank you for saying that. Um, there were quite a few bits to, to try and unpack in there. Um, one is this, um, your outlook to reach out to these men there's a reaching that needs to be done as well as i guess as 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 a black man as and part of the jabalian men's network and talking about specifically men's related issues such as mental health physical health this most certainly is something that we um take very very seriously however we also are very conscious and aware that men in general in general generally speaking do not seek medical advice for anything, unless they're the walking wounded, literally. I know we have this thing about men's flu, etc. But typically, men don't see the GP as regular as any other, as, as, as females. Um, what can we do to um, really reframe that, readdress that? Because I guess to get screened, you have to make the first, um, take the first step, as it were. Yeah, and I think it's important just to say at that stage, Douglas, in actual fact, there isn't any formal screening for prostate cancer. 
So that's why it's even more important for men to understand if they fall into a high risk group. And, and just to touch on, on the other risk groups, if I may, um, the other risk groups are increasing age. So the older man is, the more likely they are to be diagnosed. And another important risk factor, in addition to age and ethnicity, is having a family history as well. This also increases the risk. So unfortunately, if you happen to be of black ethnicity and you have a family history, then unfortunately your risk will increase even more so. Now, to help men understand their risk, we developed a 30-second interactive risk checker that can be found on the Prostate Cancer UK website. Now, simply by um, putting in a man's age, ethnicity and family history, the risk checker is able to um, help you understand if you fall into a high-risk group and then gives further information to help understand what the next steps might be. So we urge all men to complete this risk checker so that they have access to reliable information and can help them understand the next steps that they might want to take. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And I will we'll put the links in in the bio, in the description for this podcast. And uh, we will urge you and we will it- reiterate that throughout this, this podcast episode that it's so, so important. Activate the 30-second risk checker you know, and, and see where you are at with that. Because I guess it's the first step and helping people on that first step is so, so important because we tend to, as I'm speaking from my perspective, to put off going to CGP, put off having your, your see, I'm going to be 50 next year. So I've had my 45th health check and as best I can recall, and we spoke about this before um, we recorded this session at the Jabali event that, I wasn't even asked anything to do with my prostate for my 45th at all. So a lot of what we are um, divulging now, a lot of the stuff that you're enlightening the audience to is new information, you know? Um, so what do you do if your GP, for example, doesn't have a checker, does not take that seriously enough? What can we do if, if you're saying that it's, there's no formal screening um, checks being done? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, The first step would be that if a man is concerned about his risk, then he should request a blood test, which is called a PSA blood test. So that stands for the prostate-specific antigen. And we know that this particular PSA blood level can be raised in many men who have a prostate cancer diagnosis. Now, there isn't one test that can be used to diagnose prostate cancer. But this is a very good way of of the experts understanding whether that man will benefit from further testing. So there is actually um, prostate cancer risk management program in place, um, which is an NHS England document, which actually um, lays out for the man and the GPs the fact that they are entitled to request a PSA blood test from age 50. This is very, very important We as an organisation, so Prostate Cancer UK, we strongly recommend that those men who fall into that high-risk bracket, so that would be men of black ethnicity, but also those with a family history, particularly a close family history, might be a brother or or a father, we strongly recommend that those men 
approach their GP from age 45 to ask about having regular PSA blood tests. And we're very, very happy for them to perhaps print off information from our website, which explains this, or just refer the GP to our website. You know, this is because black men are not only at increased risk, because they're more at risk of actually dying from the disease. So this makes it even more important. And if that GP happens not to be aware, then I know it's not right, but it's important for that man to know that they are in a high-risk group and highlight this to the GP. And if they are declined, my main message will be, don't give up. Don't let anything stand in your way. Your well-being is the most important thing here. And we're very happy to talk to men who perhaps have been refused a PSA. Um, Unfortunately, the national guidelines still state from age 50, but many GPs, once they sort of see the evidence that we're able to produce, they're normally happy to go along with this. But for those that aren't so lucky and they are declined, then there's information on, on the PSA website page on, the, on, on our website. And also, we're very, very happy to give men or their loved ones information to motivate them or to understand how to navigate that system to get to what they are trying to achieve, which is to get that PSA done. Well, yeah, no, thank you for that. Because, again, and there's a strong correlation between the the age where your highest risk factors come into play, say when you're 50, 45, 50, onwards. We also know within mental health, these are the, the riskiest times to be a male as well in terms of your mental health. So I'm so, I'm so glad that you're um, providing a, a responsive, supportive anchor for men to go out and get this support because it can be a very lonely journey because when you're already feeling vulnerable, midlife crisis is in you, financial worries, all of the, those things are hitting you all at once. And then you are putting yourself or make yourself open to exploring maybe a time when you are not going to be around. It might be not a conversation that people are not ready to Absolutely. have, particularly culturally, because Absolutely. we like to consider ourselves the rock, you know, in, in, within the family setup. I know things are changing, but some old habits do die yes, hard. they do. You know, and, and as, as a man, we, as men, we can uh, put off. And if I'm right in, in saying... The longer we put it off, you know, as, as, as care specialists, we know that the interventions become more aggressive. The likelihood of success become more diminished and health outcomes and your own outlook on care is lowered as well. So getting, getting diagnosed early is absolutely the right thing to, to, be, to be doing. And so I'm, I'm right in saying also, is there a risk management care, but like a, pathway for it you know like there's some treatments like falls has a care pathway um strokes is a pathway and that's very clear defined steps that um health professionals must adhere to is there one in place for um prostate cancer yes yes there is so um there is what we call the diagnostic pathway in place so mm. that means that if the man is able to get his psa um, and particularly talking about those men who don't have symptoms. So 
if they have a PSA done and it is above a certain threshold, which is very, very clearly documented for healthcare professionals to be able to refer to, um, and it's it's different actually, Douglas, to those men that have symptoms, a PSA blood test might also be a consideration for part of their assessment. And then there would be different age-related triggers at which they might be referred. They're slightly higher than most men's um, threshold who don't have any symptoms at all. Now, if the PSA is raised, then that man, we need to rule out basically prostate cancer as a possible cause of that raised PSA. So men would be referred to even what we call a two-week wait pathway, which means that they have to have something done at the hospital within from the time that they're referred by the GP or on an urgent cancer referral. Um, and so there's very clear pathway from that. And in the UK, the next step if a man has a raised PSA, is most commonly imaging in the form of a special MRI. And this is very good at looking for prostate cancer that requires treatment. So I'll talk about a little bit more about that, what I mean by requires treatment in just a moment. So it's only those men who've had a scan, if they find areas within the prostate or just outside the prostate that look unusual or suspicious, only those men will be asked to have a biopsy of the prostate. So that means that just under 30% of men who've been referred for investigation won't be required to go through to the next step because they, they're not thought to be at high risk of prostate cancer. And then the, 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 the next step would be a biopsy in those men, as I say, that, that if they've seen anything on the MRI, but they just want to clarify, they want to understand what that abnormality is. It isn't always due to cancer. There are some non-cancerous conditions that kind of mimic prostate cancer, but it's a very important step. And tiny samples are taken from the prostate um, using numbing um, so that it's, it's not a painful procedure for, for men. And those, those sure. samples are I'm examined. I know, I know. But, you know, Douglas, it's just so important. Um, I'm, it's not exactly the same, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it, I always sort of liken it a little bit to... No one likes going to the dentist, but it's incredibly important. And they use the same numbing medication, but of course, in larger quantities to numb the area. And it's something that um, I'm afraid is very much necessary. We're working hard to, to find better ways of looking for prostate cancer that men won't have to go through that. But actually, we're talking about something so important here. Douglas, you mentioned early diagnosis, which is which is so important. And I always describe prostate cancer as um, it isn't one disease. So as you say, if found early, some men may not even require immediate treatment. It is possible to monitor their cancer if all the cancer is found to be slow growing and only within the prostate. But as I say, some men, unfortunately, will be found to have fast-growing prostate cancer. It's particularly those that we want to find before the prostate cancer has had the opportunity to leave the prostate. And that's because when the prostate cancer has left the prostate, it becomes more difficult to treat and it puts that man at greater risk and then has the potential to, to shorten lives and to do more damage. So if found early, if that man requires treatment then prostate cancer is, is one of the most successfully treatable of all the cancers. And that's why, as you said earlier, it's so very important for men to have awareness, to understand if they fall into a high-risk group. 
so that we can find yeah. those men in particular that have the fast growing prostate cancer. And, and so, yes, I, I, you know, things are definitely improving. We're understanding more and more. We've still got a long way to go, but we're getting there. Sure, sure. And, and, and men should have solidarity with each other and support each other um, and encourage each other to go and get tested. All my friends fall within that catchment exactly. area where we need to go for testing. So I, I'm going to make it a, a New Year's resolution. Well, it's not just New Year's, a permanent resolution, that. I would say, to, to ensure that I'm constantly checking in with my with my colleagues and friends of my same age and just say, don't just, just go and do it. I'll, I'm going to book that one in. March the 9th, I turn 50. And, I'll, and I'm determined to make sure I get go get checked out. Another challenge we have, I guess, within the, say, black community, black men communities, how granular are you going when you're saying black community? Because I want to make sure everybody who's at risk understands the need to go and get tested, right? And so, you know, when you fill in job application forms, sometimes it could go very granular to like black English, black African, black West Indian, you know, what are we meaning when we're saying black? So we just get the context yeah, no, right. I understand. And I think that's a really good question. And we're talking of, of any black man who is of Afro-Caribbean or African descent. Okay. That, that is good. it in, in, in a nutshell. As, as simple as, as simple that. As simple as so, that. As simple as that. So even if you're not even as in lower and less, if you're biracial, you still need to go and get yourself tested. You're not getting out of this one. We, we're all in this it's, it's together, true. Right? I'm going to be honest with you. Sort of the, the, the research evidence um, in relation to biracial backgrounds is 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 not as strong as it is for for men of of um, you know full black ethnicity. However, because we don't know for certain what their risk might be, it's important also for those men to be treated in the same way as a high risk group so that we know we don't make mistakes there. Um, but it's definitely something sure. that we'll need to know more about in the future. And, and, and it's interesting because the risk checker that I mentioned to you, we've had for about three years now, and we were constantly updating it and improving it um, along the way. And it is a lot better than when we first launched it. Um, but in actual fact, in that time, we've had about two million risk checkers um, conducted. Wow. But most importantly, um, I'm very, mm -hmm. very happy to say that we have had 90,000 black men. Okay, guys, wow. everybody ready? Wow, that's big. That's big. That's where you get your mic dropped for that exactly. because I know speaking to the effort that you guys are going into doing that. And you're going against the grain. This is not something that you see on national television, you know, so your, your levers to engage with the local communities across the UK yeah. is very complicated now because you you're going down to maybe voluntary groups, local newspapers. Exactly that. Pop-up events. Exactly that. So we have to be able to reach out, work mm. with these communities. We need to build trust. We need to engage and we need to be led by the communities that we're trying to help. 
And one of the most important things for me um, as an individual is that we have forged some strong relationships um, within our Black communities. Some of those individuals have already set up their own support groups or foundations, but they're now working with us. And, and for me, this is the future. We have a Black Men's Health Advisory Group, which meets monthly, and we have just under 50 members. Now, this is so important, Douglas, because, you know, if we're working with the communities that we're trying to help, we're finding out what obstacles are you finding? What can we do to overcome Mm -hmm. them? This is absolutely crucial. So um, what what we're doing here is we're involving them in consensus about uh, PSA testing. And that's how we we came to this. We've really stuck our head above the parapet here um, about suggesting that that black men and men with family history approach their GP age 45 when it's not actually on any um, national guidelines. We're pushing for this and we're trying to work Mm -hmm. towards, I'll tell you about that in a moment. Um, But we're working with the Black Men's Health Advisory Group, which is composed of um, both those whose lives have been affected by prostate cancer, have lived experience, or sadly have even lost um, a relative. Um, there's, a, there's a brother and sister that comes to my mind that sadly lost their dad. And they work tirelessly to raise awareness with, within the Black communities. And for me, this is crucial that if we can encourage the younger people within the Black communities to try and um, give the older relatives um, reliable information and say, look, we're not going to hold to that. Things have moved on. We only care about your well-being. For me, this is how we're going to break through here. So important. Wow. Well, I know that I'm, I'm, I salute you on that one. You mentioned trust and um, we saw this with the COVID pandemic, how much actual mistrust um, the global majority, ethnic minorities, whatever label that we have at mm-hmm. the time have mm-hmm. with the health service, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so um, using that as a, as a starting point, because I think COVID made everybody an uh, expert health consumer. It touched everybody. So how can we use that momentum that um, was a negative experience to say, okay, you're really now engaged with your health, whether or not you took the vaccine or didn't take the vaccine, you understand health a lot more and the effects of it. How then can you, um, how can we provide education? Like if I speak to my, my friends and, and have this conversation, I want to know, um, using the right tools, and you you did mention as well, um, accurate information, factual information. Now, do you have anything that's bite-sized, best practice, things that can help stimulate those conversations? And also back to my central point was, how can we then rebuild yeah. trust yeah. in our communities when it comes yeah, to health? Absolutely. So I think that, first of all, access that reliable information is fundamental and it has to be accessible mm. in different ways. And very important for organisations such as ours to recognise that the way that you might raise awareness or encourage better communication within some ethnic groups is going to be different compared to others. So as I've said, working very much with those communities. Um, we've been doing some pilot schemes, working with um, community champions, um, with um, 
teaching and support from ourselves and really going out into the communities, into the churches, into areas where perhaps men are playing dominoes, into the barbers, Mm. into places where we know people feel comfortable and secure, working with those that perhaps they have great respect for. It might be a pastor, you know, it might even be their hairdresser. You know, I'm serious, Dublin. You you know, you have to go to um, where that individual um, trust is. And if that individual is happy to say, look, you know, I've gone out there, I've done it, I've had my PSA blood test, to give them the fundamentals. So it doesn't have to be in great depth. It's about giving the key facts. Who is at risk? What can you do about it? And also to make sure that they understand what might happen next. Okay? And that is that that understanding is correct. And what I mean by that is, I think it's a very good point to maybe at a good time to mention the rectal examination. Now, we know from a recent survey that we did um, where there were 2,000 men, 500 of which were black, and this was a, a nationwide survey. And from that, we know that of those black men that participated, 65% of those men were particularly worried about a rectal examination. And very worryingly, 35% of those men said it would put them off speaking to their GP because they wouldn't want to have a rectal yeah. examination. So let's talk about this, okay? Indeed, so let's go there. Let's, let's go, go there. there. Mm. The rectal examination is not the best test for prostate cancer, okay? And that's particularly so for men that have no symptoms. And as an organisation, we don't want black men to be put off of having this discussion for fear of this examination because the PSA blood test is actually four times more accurate at looking for prostate cancer than a rectal examination would be, okay? Wow. So this is so, so important. It goes to a a saying that I heard when I was training as a nurse. Um, It was by a surgeon, I think, Dr. Henry, I can't remember this surname, but it went something like this. Why use knife when a spoon would do? And I think this talks to that. You know, the rectal examination is a evasive procedure. And if we are saying... And I'm hearing correctly that the blood test is four yeah. times um, more accurate Absolutely. than the rectile one. Absolutely. You know, so there, there's, a, there's a spoon yeah. approach to getting tested there. Um, and certainly uh, growing up, uh, there, there is the there is elephant in the room with black men, particularly very it's sensitive true. around yeah, the area of being examinated um, Via, via the rectum, the whole the whole process. Maybe there's some historical baggage of things that might have been done in the 50s and 60s or things that we saw or heard about mm. that was done to us as a mm. people that we don't like anything in, 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 in regards to that, um, that area for examination. But as you rightfully said, I think given the, the, the gravity of the situation, you know, that one in four... Uh, black men are likely to um, um, to develop prostate cancer is enough even if you didn't have the blood test to go and get yourself checked out. But because we've got the blood test, is it said the PSA? PSA, PSA? Yeah, prostate specific antigen, yeah, that's right. 
That's right. That's correct. Yeah, the PSA. Go and get the PSA. Exactly. Exactly that. And, you know, like Mm. I said, I, I, I kind of don't want to dwell on that too much, but it's just to emphasize the fact that there is a better test out there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. having said that, again, it's interesting because in my experience, I've been a nurse a long time. In my experience, when individuals are able to talk about something they're worried about, though very often you can overcome their fears because actually they're maybe going on hearsay or they're just kind of like jumping mm-hmm. on the bandwagon. Oh, no, I wouldn't have that. I mean, I've even had black men saying, or if I if I get examined in in the back passage, it's going to change my sexuality, which is completely untrue. Yeah. And somebody said to me very recently, and this really resonated with me. A man said to me, he spent so much time worrying about a rectal examination, and when he actually had it, he realised that the worrying about it was worse than the having it, because it, it yes. literally, Douglas, if if you know if it is <laughs> if it is offered to a man, because it, it can be useful, especially if a man has symptoms. You know, the, the healthcare mm. professional can feel if the prostate is enlarged um, or whether it's mm. painful to the touch, because it isn't normally painful, that examination. But if it is offered, mm. it literally takes less than a minute. It's slightly uncomfortable. They use a little bit of um, lubricant on a gloved finger, takes less than a minute. And sorry to say this, but it's smaller than a large poo, okay, a finger. Yeah. So, so yeah. and just one more thing that, that again, you know, I kind of like, I'm very much a person that I want to work with individuals to make them make better, to encourage or support them to make better health decisions about their own health and well-being for themselves and their families. There was in 2019, a study done in Nottingham. And um, this happened to be an area where they had um, a, a big black population and they invited um, anybody into a particular centre to see a nurse to talk about prostate cancer risk and also to have a PSA blood test. But they also at that time offered them a rectal examination. So we have learned more since then, I'm just explaining. But my point of mentioning this is this study involved around 320 black men. Once those black men had the opportunity to understand why the rectal test was being offered and what would happen when it was carried out, less than 2% declined that examination. Wow. Excellent. So, so you know, Douglas, I'm sorry. Mm. I will not be stuck in this. You know, we don't do this. We don't do that. We need to be thinking what is best for us. But again, in order to do that and to sort of drive positive change, yeah. We need to be able to have to access accurate information. So we've got fantastic information on our website, Prostate Cancer UK website. And if individuals have further questions, they can call us mm. or contact the specialist nurse um, group as well. They'd be very, very welcome to do that too. So, you know, and it, honestly, what can happen by having these conversations? Honestly, it, 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 there's something that I hear said, and I kind of don't know if I like it or not, but that's don't die of embarrassment. Okay, guys, wow. everybody ready? Another mic drop okay. for you. Don't <laughs> die. Of it's, it's, just, it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's you're bang on. You're bang on. And um, <laughs> when you say fear, you know, the acronym false evidence appearing real. And uh, we create our own monsters. Yes. Um, as, as a culture, as a people, we've got so many comedians that talk about the rectal examination and we need to re-educate those people to say there's certain jokes that need to be archived exactly. for a time that's long yes. gone 
that we shouldn't have to continuously perpetuate for for the next generation because it is wrong. It is wrong and um it's a small evasive procedure. Yes, it's uncomfortable in terms of the the whole process, but rather that maybe as you were saying, if you educate like you're going for other types of interventions. You might they might say to you kneel by mouth for twelve hours, you know? There might be an issue in the community say, I don't know how to prepare myself. Yes. I don't want anything to for cleanliness. I don't want anybody to see what I've eaten yes. or whatever processed yes. or unprocessed. So is there guidelines for, for men to say, okay, if you're gonna have a rectal examination, mm-hmm. there's th- these things that you need to prepare yourself for, and that will that will at least calm you down a little bit. So you're in somewhat control. Cause like when you feel I guess it's a it's a control thing actually. For for me, for for, for most course. men, they're thinking when you're in that position, you're you're not in control anymore. You're giving up corrupt yes. control. You're surrendering yeah. yourself to somebody else that might typically be a male, and that conjures up things um, in your own psyche that shouldn't be right. there anyway. That's right. But um, as you said, this is an open and frank conversation that we're having that we need to um, debunk, demystify some of these ill truths. These are done by doctors who have trained many years to support life. That, that's <laughs> not it. Too embarrassed you as that's individual. it. That's it. Um, and yes, of course, you know, it's not something that we would relish the idea of um, any sort of intimate examination, but this is with a healthcare professional and it's been being done with, with purpose if required. But the, as you say, the main message is the PSA blood test is a better test and tells us so much more information. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for that, Douglas, also is that men who have prostate cancer can have a completely normal feeling prostate. They normally do. So that's another reason why it doesn't really give us that reassurance. But as you say, if you're going to allow yourself to be examined, you have to have that trust. So that's another very, very important point that it's not about educating the public. It's not about, um, not just about um, raising awareness in high-risk groups. It's also important that we make sure that the healthcare professionals, that individuals will be going to approach to ask for this for PSA blood test, that they are also educated. So we provide free education and updates for healthcare professionals. So particularly looking at primary care. So for, for the GP world side of things, to understand what the risk factors are for prostate cancer um, and also for them to understand what the processes are and what, what the entitlements are um, in relation to you know, the prostate cancer risk management program has been around since about 2014. So, you know, it has been updated, but the point is it's been around for a long time. So we need to make sure that GPs and nurse practitioners, you know, don't turn men away, um, you know, uh, and and that they do have that understanding of, of when to refer. So this is incredibly important. So that that's a big part of of um, Prostate Cancer UK's um, intentions to also work with the healthcare professionals, and we're working with GP trainees. And I think that's important because if they can come into a practice new, they can educate their peers. And hopefully we'll be able to spread that word. Um, you know, we, we work at conferences. I was at the Royal College of GPs this year, uh, which was fantastic in Glasgow and spoke to GPs from all over the UK. And interestingly, Douglas, um, we've still got a lot of work to do. I spoke to some fantastic mm. young black GPs who actually weren't aware that black men are at this increased risk 
And that's very, very concerning. So we're trying to become involved in their curriculum training because quite clearly there isn't enough training in that area. And interestingly there, I had some really interesting conversations. The realisation, it was that penny dropping of, oh my gosh, with these young GPs, remember, already qualified doctors, but doing GP training. Mm -hmm. I need to talk to my dad. And I didn't have the guts before, but now you've spoken to me. I know, no, I have to go home and talk to my dad. That first conversation is the most difficult and it would get easier from there. Wow. Yeah, you're, 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 you're so right. You're so, so right because it's, it's a conversation. It's not like the difficult, the difficult conversation you have for writing your will. Yes. This is, this is, this is different. First and foremost, I will say this is a gift to yourself. Because it's becoming the elephant in the room anyway. So to have clarity, you've got to overcome the fear and go for yes. the test. And I would say we should have it just as my household. We've got a traditional list of songs that we play on birthdays from Stevie Wonder, <laughs> Happy Birthday, <laughs> to even 50 Cents. I love you it. Should have, you should have your birthday song in terms of getting yourself <laughs> checked out. You know, as as de facto, when it gets when it gets to that stage, I guess, uh, I guess your the work that you're doing, the fantastic work that your organisation is doing, would have would have reached a point where you're getting enough data. Because I guess you're, you're, one of the challenges we have, and we've seen it with population health management, we've seen it through the COVID pandemic, is when the data is sparse and sporadic. Yeah. You know, how can we? Uh, make informed interventions. As you rightfully said, in terms of rectal examination, the blood test is far mm-hmm. better. But even had millions more sample sizes, there might be nuances in terms of how this is playing out within the communities. Yes. You know, um, that will allow for better, safer, cheaper um, treatments, maybe. That, that is so right. And, you know, if we look at the evidence base so far, as you know, it's so much, it's so important for actions that we take in diagnosis, in treatment consideration to be evidence-based so that we know that that's the best for the individual and we know which individuals will be do better with what treatments. But when we look at black men and prostate cancer, if you look at the three largest screening trials that have been done in the past, less than 1% of those men were of black ethnicity. So we don't fully understand. We know that black men are at increased risk, but we need to understand more than that. And in fact, we don't know exactly why black men are at this increased risk. Now, it's thought to be connected to the genes, you know, that's been passed down from our parents via our DNA. But we don't fully understand this. And this is why we are um, part funding an incredibly important trial called the Profile Trial. Okay. Now, this trial had two main arms. One was for family history, but the other was specifically for black men. So for black men between the ages of 40 and 69 who don't have a prostate cancer diagnosis, 
And the researchers are studying the genes of these men to see if they can identify any changes that they might be able to better understand, to use, to look for those men who are at higher risk, who might have that faster growing prostate cancer, to see whether this might be able to be used uh, or incorporated within a national screening programme. But unfortunately, we've been having difficulty in getting men to join this very important trial. Um, Black men to join. The the family history one was for Caucasian men only, and that was filled very quickly. But unfortunately, um, it's been a lot more challenging to encourage black men to join. And what they're doing is they're really looking at bloods. They're looking at, um, they're doing scans. And, you know, this is something that men wouldn't normally have the access to, you know. So this wow. this is really, really important. Um, and then for those, of course, it would be with consent. They're also looking at um, if the man is happy to do so, taking very tiny biopsy samples and looking at the tissue to identify any genetic changes. So it's nothing that leaves wow. long-lasting changing with, with, with that man, okay? But what it does for the individual is it means that for a minimum of five years, that man would be very much more um, closely monitored than they would with just a PSA alone, PSA blood test alone. Um, and unfortunately, they've already found black men with prostate cancer who had absolutely no idea that that was the case. Um, and, and we really need more men to come forward. And if any men are interested in taking part in in, in this this trial, um, which actually, you know, if you think about it, imagine if you could contribute to um, making prostate cancer less of a threat to our black communities. I mean, imagine that. Yes. You know, we never know. It could be someone oh. close to us, Douglas. You know. Yes. Um, no, absolutely, so, so absolutely, important. Susan. And um, I'm sorry for interjecting sorry. and talking over you. It's such a such a um important point that you've raised there, and it's a rally call, it's a clarion call, and I don't want I don't want you to sound like um you're screaming into the wilderness. So I'm going to amplify your voice on this one. Thank you right? so much. Right here on the Mic Drop Club, I will volunteer myself. Oh, Douglas, amazing for, for the trial, um, the yes. profile trial. Yeah, I'll ready? put myself through that, and I will, I will then anchor, and I will suggest anyone who follows the oh, Mic Drop yes. Club, the Jabali Men's Network, Thank you so much. any other networks I'm associated with, the Maca, the Midway African oh, Caribbean amazing. Society, to then. Go on this profile trial. It, this is actually our responsibility. Oh, exactly. Yeah, let's, how just, I feel. let's move things aside now and let's yeah, get let, serious. Let's get to the nitty gritty. We have yes. a responsibility to support each other. I feel the same. Yeah, our families, and this is we part of the process. Yep. Being yes, being ignorant, arrogant, refusing to understand our situation yes. puts our families at yep. risk. It's the neighbors yes. us to plan. Yes. And live and move forward as a community. So uh, I will Thank do you that. So much. I'm so excited. That. Thank yes. you. Thank you, Douglas. And, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll and I, I will also yeah. tell you that, you know, I know um, some of the um, researchers on the trial personally, um, and mm. you'll be treated with such respect. The details for the profile trial can be found on the Prostate Cancer UK website. You can just put in um, profile. Um, and one of the main inclusions criteria, as I say, is for men ages 40 to 69 without current prostate cancer diagnosis. Um, and you must have both parents of black ethnicity and all four grandparents. 
And, you know, the first contact, um, you're going to kindly put the details, um, but the first contact is just for um, a non-obligatory uh, talk to talk things through. And my goodness, Douglas, if we could do this, it, oh my goodness, it, it would really help to speed things up because if we're taking so long to recruit, it means it's just elongating that time that we don't have those answers. Mm. And, and the hope is that one day we won't have to pop through men, through biopsies, etc. But it's this sort of information that will help us, you know, make these sort of um, investigations um, less likely. And we'll find better ways of looking for those men at particularly high risk. So honestly, Douglas, that would just be fantastic. Honestly, they'd be very, very pleased to hear from you. Very, very pleased on. No, no, no. Thank you. For, I, I'm honoured to do that. As 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 somebody that's perceived as a leader, I have to put my best foot forward and, and 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 walk I the love walk. That. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. It's a gift to myself. It's a responsibility thing. So it's a, it's a responsible thing to do. You respond based upon your ability. Yeah. So if you have the ability to go and get yourself screened and checked, do that as as a bare minimum. If you got the ability and the time to go through the profile trial, go and do that. You'll respond based upon the ability that you have, okay? So let's, as a, as a people, move ourselves forward in a positive and safe way and um, get ourselves checked out. And in, in those in relationships with people that are not of the same you, back, ethnic background as us, you can still get them involved to get them to support you on that journey it's not a journey that you keep to yourself if you're in a in a biracial relationship say oh this is just for me to go through this affects everybody you know um so get the family involved in what you're doing and then as we say in zimbabwe each one teach one you know if i go my son will go and do that as well and his son's son will go and do that make this as something that's not a taboo Sub- subject something that we just do we get checked out and it's a good yeah. thing yeah it's we've got to reduce these yeah. harms we've got to reduce these yes, harms absolutely. definitely so thank you so much for your support on that because <laughs> you know i it, it means it means so much to us because yeah we, we've got to work together we we want to make it the case that you know for the future generations that these statistics are things of the past you know that you know mm. Absolutely, absolutely, and and yeah, yeah, there's too much pain out there. Exactly that, exactly that, Um, and that Mm. can only come with improved understanding. And and as you say, we can't do that without working very much alongside members of our black communities. Absolutely, that. You are so much more. MikeDropClub.com. Make life boom. There's another angle we could possibly look at, which is the mental health side of yeah, things. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, and you're showing that, that the, the framework covers uh, black men with mental illness that are brought into hospital, that they have their bloods for the PSA. Because remember, they're trapped. They're under, some of them are under mental health mm-hmm, act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their liberty has been taken yeah, away yeah. from them. Yeah. You know, and, 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 uh, and we know that um, a lot of men, a lot of people with, with long-term mental health illnesses, they die not because of the mental illness. They die because of the toxins in the medication sure. and the lack of... Um, Basic health care, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, physical health, yeah. It is a physical yeah. health consideration. Yeah. 
that we should have for every, I would like to for working for a mental health trust. So anything that we do for um, Kenton Medway Partnership Trust, I can help lobby or at least signpost you yeah, to the, the senior people to yeah. have that conversation. Can you imagine somebody that was admitted to a psychiatric hospital, maybe on a three, for three, four years receiving treatment, then die of prostate yeah. cancer? Yeah, it's wrong. And had blood it's, taken it's all the time. Yeah. Do blood. And they don't have the ability to um, to initiate this themselves. Know. So we have to be the yeah, advocate. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you should say that. One of your yeah. colleagues at the Jabali conference mm. approached me and said that he was in charge of X number, of, I think he said 25 prisons, the health, I think probably the mental health yeah. of of, mm. of men or internees, I don't know if they're just men, of 25 mm. prisons. And he said he hadn't thought about this before. He said that's another mm. area where they need to be addressing yeah. this because those men can't ask for it themselves. So, so interesting, interesting. It's about the ad- yeah. advocacy, isn't it, really? You know, like you mm. say, so it's good to get that kind of the other part of it because that makes us whole, doesn't it? Mental health and physical health. It more, and it's like a, like a multi-pronged approach to dealing with the problem. Yes, yes. Everybody knows somebody with a mental health problem oh, in oh this my country. Gosh, of course. One in four, as you say, will get prostate cancer at some point in their life. You know, so so shocking. Your if you make your services on for the most needy and most vulnerable, you cover those ones who are able. That's exactly it. Exactly it. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, that no matter how senior you and your colleagues are, you still, I think it's because you've come from a nursing background that you still get that. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Very often when people come more senior, they forget that. But I do believe it's because of that nursing background that you don't lose that. So I was honestly, no. I've just seen in awe of you all. And I felt very, no, seriously, Douglas, I wasn't expecting it. Can you imagine? I wasn't, expe- I didn't know what to make of it all, you know. Um, and um, poor, poor Owen is kind of like landed with me. And because he'd put nurse from prostate cancer, I was like, no, like, please, can you put prostate cancer UK? Poor Owen was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, no, I know, bless him. He's always a wonderful soul as well. He's a really well. nice um, gentleman. He is. He is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and again, the last point that I didn't, we didn't cover, I know you have to go as well, was the thing of ethical use of our data. Right, you know, okay. You know, and that is something that is, um, I think, not just our, not just black communities, I think a lot of communities, the whole use of ethical AI, you know, who uses our data? Are they, monet- <laughs> are they monetizing on the, on the back of our pain? as it were, you know, that honest and transparency for use of our data, you know, because for example, if, if we, if, if say the profile trial was financed by Galaxo worker, whatever it was. Yeah. And then we volunteer our examinations in the masses, in the millions. And then they turn around, turn around with a vaccine that then we have to pay for. Yeah. But we, we are giving no, them the I, data I set I in the first place. I understand. So, so it, it is that ethical use yeah. of our data that we need to address. Like, how are we going to ensure communities feel that their data is going to be Safe. used in the same way? They're not going to be exploited. Mm-hmm. Will, it, will it mean that if I go and see my GP, I'm going to be deported? Let's have a real conversation. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, you say it like fathers, grandparents. Some of us don't know our family history that yes. well we know somebody yes. dies yeah. yeah but the co- root cause it, of death <laughs> is like, yeah. yeah i wouldn't see granddad no. granddad wasn't no. breathing no. you know mm-hmm. um because every you know healthcare services in 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 most of the, the just um developing world 
isn't the greatest. So to have a diagnosis, oh, your father died of prostate, will suggest that they've had at least a a, a, a better quality of yeah. care. Yeah. You know, in that place. But some places they just don't have it. They just I, don't I, know. No, I, I, I agree. And we do sometimes hear from individuals who have been treated abroad, you know, that might call us. And, you know, we, we can only be so helpful with that, Douglas, because obviously we only have an understanding of the healthcare system in the UK. But when you hear mm. about people's situation, they're not getting the care that they should be. They're not getting access to the drugs that they should do. It, it's really, really heartbreaking. So I'm not the best person to to talk about sort of um, data sort of protection because, you know, it's kind of a bit outside of my area of expertise. I can understand where you're coming from. But there are people within my charity who who would understand that. <laughs> and, that, that yeah. and, and, it, and it's a charity. Yes. It's a charity. So your charity relies on donations. Yeah. So, um, so where's the call to action for donations? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, because obviously, because of my background, I mean, I know I work for charity, but um, I kind of, the nurse service itself actually, Douglas, generates people to to um, bequeath in their wills and things like this. So I think what they're doing now is they're using a lot of sort of corporate money like they've got this um um i don't know if you've seen it or what are the darts people i can't even remember paddy something it's something to do with the darts yeah, paddy paddy power. Power. yeah. they've got this huge yeah. thing going on with them that they get money every mm. time there's a oh i don't even know what the score is but so we don't kind of get involved on that but yes there is the other mm. side to that but what is good is that we are now finding that um through some of these wonderful um men on the black men's health advisory group that, that trust is building, it's building. Mm. And so we're having like, um, last week, we had a large group of all black young men, I'm saying in their 30s, young to me anyway, and they were all black, starting to do fundraising, doing a cycling thing. So, you know, there's, it, there's it's kind of like building and, oh, just so excited by that. So excited by that. But yeah, we have wonderful people that do the fundraising, but we're talking about really big money because we're a big charity. So so a lot of our money goes on to research. So there's a huge trial called Transform starting next year. But that will take, Douglas, 15 to 20 years to get the answers that they want, which is looking for a screening program that is evidence-based to work. Douglas, they they hope to invite one in 10 of those men to be black men. Okay, Wow. So you say 15 years for results. those results to be published. Years. So, so let's do the maths. Let's do the maths. If you get screened at 50 and you have a positive diagnosis for prostate cancer and go for treatment and you're, you're healed, treatment is successful, yeah. you will have another 15 years of good Absolutely. life at least because average Absolutely. average uh, average life yeah, yeah. expectancy for men is what 76 or 78 yeah, something yeah, like that a bit older I think but yes yeah. yes yeah. depends, yeah. So, depends so, where you're living yeah it yeah. depends, yeah, it depends yeah. on where you're living um, so, so in fact is your responsibility to to get yourself that's, checked that's out? That's exactly my point. You know, how many men are going to to die in that time? I mean, I didn't mention that twelve thousand yeah. men die every year because, in a way, we kind of don't want to scare people into this. We want people to come into it. I feel, Douglas, you know, like in more of a positive way. This is something I can take control. This is something I can do about it, and I know that it isn't necessarily a death sentence. You know, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Susan, I'm keeping this recording. Uh, so- because I'm going to call the next, the, the, the 15 seconds, 15 minutes after we said goodbye. This is bonus material. Sometimes we of the generation, I, I'm assuming, 
I grew up with um, that scene. I can still see it. Not to not not to walk on a railway line, and I can still smell smell the burning flesh when that boy walked on the railway line. Which no. remember that don't cross on railway oh crossings. Just no movement. Remember Zamo in Grange Hill. Yes. No yes. to drugs. Just say no, because sometimes you have to show the negative side. If you look at okay. cigarette packets, okay. yeah, they show your teeth brutally mashed up and all that kind of stuff and your lungs and all that kind of, they show it to you. And I think we cannot shirk okay, away that's interesting. from some of these horrors. If that's going to be the impetus that we yeah. need, if the softly, softly approach doesn't march people to get themselves okay. tested, then we have to amplify the I message. You. I hate you. You know, because that, the reality is mothers, daughters, sons are crying. People are unalived that still had capacity and capability to contribute to, to society yeah. and their families. They're no yeah. longer here. So I'd rather show those okay. things and show how preventable it is. I'm listening to you. Okay. You know? So in actual fact, um, although I've spoken about prostate cancer being one of the most successfully treatable cancers, um, that isn't always the case. And sadly, around 12,000 men will die every year in the UK directly as a result of their prostate cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And we're here to try to do our little part to prevent that from happening because it's unnecessary. Absolutely. If you can visualise 12,000 people, it's a lot of Absolutely. people. Absolutely. It's unnecessary. It's, yes. So, yeah, so the, the conversation that's unfolding is what um, Prostate Cancer UK is doing with some fantastic innovation in terms of collaborating with people of influence, local community groups, lobbying governments, lo- lobbying the, um, the, the health boards exactly. to start um, putting in place the correct care pathways to ensure that people of colour go and get tested. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. And also something else that I didn't mention to you, which I think is important to mention, is that there is um, uh, uh, an individual body um, called the NHS, uh, NHS, the UK National Screening um, Committee, independent body. Now, they decide which conditions we are going to um, invite well people to come in for to be screened. So, for example, we have breast screening, as you know, we have um, smears, cervical cytology, and we have bowel screening. Now, prior to 2019, we didn't have the MRI as part of the diagnostic pathway that I was talking about earlier. So when a man is referred for having high PSA levels. So men before 2019 used to go straight to biopsy, which, as we've already said, is quite an invasive procedure. But since 2019, we've really looked very, very deeply at the evidence. And we as an organisation feel that the numbers of men that are diagnosed um you know, with with disease that doesn't require treatment, um, we're not over-diagnosing and we're not putting men through additional tests unnecessarily as we would have done before because of this MRI testing, okay? And so we presented a case earlier in the year to the UK National Screening Committee and asked them to consider for black men and for those with a family history using the PSA as a national screening programme 
Now, they've agreed to review the data that we've provided to them, um, but we haven't yet um, had their final decision on this. So we realise that we can't wait for this transform trial results because we need to make sure that we're looking after men in this interim period. But it's it's you know we're trying to look at it from all different approaches really, um, and 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 now you know we don't as I said earlier we don't treat every man with prostate cancer because it isn't necessary um, for each man. Um, they can be safely monitored, and so this is something else that we wait to see and. In addition to this, we're also looking at other ways of looking for prostate cancer. So, for example, we're part funding a trial which is looking at the genetic material within urine, would you believe, looking at home testing. So, you know, it's about covering all bases. And we've got to be careful here because, again, what we know is, unfortunately, our black communities and ethnic minorities, if you want to use that term, um, are not good at taking up national screening anyway. So again, we can't rest and say, oh, yes, if we get a national screening programme, then that would be better for our black communities because we need to change our attitude to accessing and wanting to have screening. So it, it's not straightforward. Yeah. So that's why we have no. to look, you know, it, yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad you covered all the all those facets, all those instruments that you're looking to engage with. You know, again, it's people of influence, and sometimes we we get caught up in the hype that you know top down is the best approach. When sometimes it's just you know vertical, no, um, horizontal across the board. Yeah, you know, across, yeah. voluntary groups. Exactly. You know, a local pastor could be more influential exactly. than your local um um trust. Yes. In getting yes. galvanizing the community, getting people, your yes. schools. There's so many different groups. It's, it's infiltrating those groups That's with the right. messaging. And obviously our artists, our musicians, our sports celebrities, you know, we need to make sure we we align or get them aligned to what we are we're advocating and what we're trying to achieve. I think, you know, we just saw Rashford, Marcus Rashford, um, you know, um, lobbying the government. So every school, every child has a decent school meal. You know, yeah, where's a our footballer? Look at how influential that yeah. was. Absolutely. And so much yeah. respect for that young man. He didn't forget his past yeah. and he wanted to make sure yeah. that other children didn't go through what he went through. Absolutely. So, you know, we've been very lucky to have some fantastic uh, black ambassadors working with the charity. So just as you're saying, um, you know, this has been incredibly important. Um, For example, we've had um, Rudolph Walker, who plays Patrick Truman in EastEnders. Yes, I know. He's amazing, isn't he? Um, Linford Christie has done work with us before. Um, David Hay um, has done work with us before. But, you know, and more recently, Colin McFarlane, who's an actor um, who was in The Dark Knight and has also been in The Outlander, you know, uh, the Batman film. And, you know, again, you know, he's worked with us this year. And this is important. This is important. And, And, you know, he... He told me that, you know, he made this decision to go public with his diagnosis because he he just wanted to do everything he could to encourage um, other black individuals in, in coming forward and being tested. And the way that he was found was because somebody else had been diagnosed. And that's a very powerful point, Douglas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes men will get themselves tested 
when somebody who is very, very well, they might be very fit going to the gym all the time, is diagnosed in their family or friend circle. And that is powerful. That is powerful. Because they think, why not them? Why not me? Why them? You know, why not me? So that is a powerful thing. So many people, and also the wife or the partner of that individual is influential and encourage them, you know, and and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm unapologetic in this. I don't think there's anything wrong if you're in a relationship with a man um, or your daughter or son to encourage your loved one Mm -hmm. to make the right health decision for them. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I could talk yeah, to you too. forever. Because it's, it's therapeutic. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I've had a healing. I've had a healing. <laughs> well, I look forward to working with you in the future. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the beginning so. of, of, of our journey really together. So I, I, I thank, thank you very you. much. I, I saw that so in much. all the links, all the links to the information that um, Susan kindly broke down i will share it in in the bio and your job is to at least pass on the message to each one you know just send it to their feed and say watch this video listen to this podcast and there's something in it for you yeah absolutely thank you so much doug it's been a pleasure to speak with you fantastic you have a great day and a fantastic festive season thank you all the best (laughs) all right cool thank you for listening Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life. Make life boom. Comic Mic Drop.